It's good to be with you guys today, especially those of you who are new with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. It's an honor and a blessing every single Sunday to have new people joining us for the first time, especially on a cold day like this. Thank you guys for coming out on a warm, warm balmy uh, four degrees on Dayton, Ohio weather. Couldn't be better. Um, college students, welcome back. It's awesome to have you guys back. We miss you when you're not here. It is uh, a great joy to have you guys here today. So if you have your Bible, you can open it today to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, that's where we're going to be today. Um, as you're turning there, um, you know, I just want to just take a couple minutes and say I really appreciate Phil and the worship team week by week leading us um, through the adoration of Christ as we come together and we open up our hearts and our voices to worship our King together. It's a blessing to be able to sing to Him and to honor His name through singing and now to be able to do so through the opening of His Word. Um, before we get into the message today, I do want to just take a moment and address something that is important in the life of our church each and every year. Every year when we get to January, it begins the season for us to nominate uh, elders and deacons to serve in those uh, leadership roles in our church. Um, and so I want to talk just for a minute about that this morning. Um, the Bible prescribes uh, two offices of uh, leadership within the church, the office of elder, the office of deacon. Uh, elders are really the, the pastoral shepherds who provide the spiritual oversight for the church. The deacons are the leading servants who take care of the practical needs uh, of the church. And so in order to serve in these two offices, um, men have to be um, recognized as having certain character qualities in place in their life. And there's multiple passages of Scripture that speak about these character qualities. I just want to read one of those passages for us today from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, really, we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. But verses 1 through 7 talk specifically about the character qualities that we are to look for as we think about nominating elders uh, to serve in our church. So let me just read this for us. 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7 says, that the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, which is a synonym for elder or shepherd in the church. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his old household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Those are some of the character qualities that need to be in place for those men who serve as elders in our church. And so as you um, begin to think this week about who you might want to nominate to be considered in the role of elder in our church, think about 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Uh, verses 8 through 13 speak also of the qualifications for someone to serve as a deacon. Let me read these. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also first be tested, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well, 
For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those are the biblical qualifications according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 that need to be in the lives of elders and deacons to serve in the local church. And as you guys can see, there's a lot of overlap in those uh, qualifications. Um, Many of them are the same. One thing that kind of stands out is that it says uh, regarding the qualifications of overseers or elders is that they must be able to teach. So as you're considering who you may nominate to serve as an elder in our church, um, you're not just looking for a, a person with good integrity and good character. You need to be looking for somebody who is able to guide the church biblically with teaching and doctrine, biblical explanation, um, those types of things. So be thinking about those uh, two roles as you think about elders and deacons in the church. Obviously, both of these roles require high character. Uh, we're not looking for sinless men. Obviously, the only sinless man was Jesus. We're not looking for perfect men. We are looking for exemplary men. We're looking who, who men who we would say, hey, you know what? If our church followed their example, we would have a healthy church. And that's what we're looking for here. So what I'm asking of you is this. Um, I would like everybody in our church, whether you are a member or a regular attender, or even if you're just kind of thinking about making UBC your church home, we would ask that you would begin praying that the Lord would bring us called and qualified leaders to serve in these roles in our church. We ask you to pray because we want the Holy Spirit to call and set apart for us men for these roles. We don't just want to handpick them ourselves. We want to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. So um, please be in prayer. So that's kind of the task for everyone. Uh, specifically for the men who are members of our church, um, I want to ask you men to pray and uh, open your heart to follow the Lord's leading. If he calls you to serve in one of these roles as elders or deacons, then um, be open to walking through that process um, that we'll talk about later. And then next Sunday, for those of you who are members of our church, you're going to receive an email that has a survey nomination form. And um, part, of one of the, part of the responsibility and the blessing of being a member of our church is that you get to actively participate in this nomination process. So members, you're going to receive that nomination survey next Sunday, January 21st. We need you to have it filled out and uh, returned back to us by January 28th, and that will then begin our vetting process. And next Sunday, the 21st, I'm going to share more about what our vetting process looks like. It's, we don't select elders and deacons simply based on popular vote or anything like that. There's a full vetting process that goes on for several months, even after the nominations come in. So I just want to ask everyone to be in prayer about that. Members, be ready to participate in that nomination process. And like always, every year, I'm looking forward to seeing who the Lord brings our way. Um, people always ask, how many elders are we looking for this year? How many deacons do we need this year? You know, do our bylaws have limits on them? No, the answer is no. We don't have any bylaws limits on how many elders or how many deacons. Uh, I personally believe that if you find men who have the character described in this uh, passage of Scripture, and those men are recognized by the church, no matter how many there are, there's a gift for the church right there. And it's a blessing when the Lord raises up called and qualified men for the church. So be in prayer for that, if you will. Um, all that being said, let's jump into today's message. Um, we are going to be continuing our sermon series called Multiply. And in this Multiply series, we believe that the Lord has focused, has really called us to focus on multiplying our ministry efforts in four specific areas. 
And so we're taking the four Sundays of January to start to unpack those four ministry areas that we believe the Lord is calling us to focus on for the next season of life in our church. And so last Sunday, I talked about multiplying the gospel, right? Where every believer is really called to share the gospel with unbelievers. We all want to be part of that. Today, I want to talk about multiplying disciples, where every disciple makes disciples. Next week, I want to talk about multiplying leaders, where every leader makes leaders. And then the following Sunday, the last Sunday of January, we'll talk about multiplying churches, where every church needs to be about the business of multiplying churches and really start to introduce and cast vision for us to be a church planting church. And so that's what we're addressing in this series because that's what we believe the Lord has called us to focus on for the next season of life in our church over the next couple years. Today, I wanna focus on this whole idea of multiplying disciples. And uh, like I said last week, we're going to work through every sermon in this series in a similar fashion. Um, In just a moment, I'm going to read our sermon text from Matthew 28. Then I'm going to talk through this message in three parts. I want to talk about what it means to multiply disciples, why it's important to multiply disciples, and then third, how can we apply it in our church. And once we get to that portion of application, we're going to have a ministry leader from our church come up and talk about practical ways that we want to invite you, opportunities that we want to invite you to participate in so that you can be involved with multiplying disciples in the life of our church. So let's... uh, let's Look at Matthew 28. Actually, before I read Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, let me just give you some context so that we remember what's actually going on in the background of this passage before we read it. Um, When we read Matthew 28, you have to envision this is kind of toward the very end of Jesus's three and a half year ministry on the earth. Um, He's with his 11 disciples. Judas has already betrayed him. There's 11 disciples left. These men are, are... about to meet with Jesus. They had walked closely with him through his earthly ministry. They have been led by him. They have learned from him. They have done ministry with him. They have observed Jesus' mistrial. They saw him crucified on a Roman cross. They saw him die there. After they saw him die and the mistreatment that was bestowed on him, then they, they got scared for their own lives, so they actually fled and ran away. They didn't want to be associated with Jesus because fear for their own lives. And now, Some time has passed and they've heard that the resurrection has occurred. They've heard that Christ has resurrected. So now they've been told to go and meet him in Galilee after his resurrection. So what are they going to do when they see the resurrected Lord? What's Jesus going to say to these men that he had ministered with and they had fled and now they've come to see him again? What's Jesus going to say to them? Let's find out. Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 says this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thanks be to God for his good and perfect word. Amen. So as we jump into today's message, let me just jump right into that first part of multiplying disciples. I want to first address what does it mean to multiply disciples. In this text, Jesus clearly tells his disciples to go and make disciples, right? Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the disciple-making mission that Jesus gave his disciples to go and make other disciples. Now, if I asked you this morning, what is a disciple? There's maybe 500 people in this room this morning. If I were to ask you, 
what is a disciple? I might get 500 different answers. I don't know if any of us would give the same answer, kind of like a, like a scripted, kind of repetitive statement. Um, so lots of different understandings of what it means to make disciples. Let me just put it as simply as I know how. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples when he was first calling them to be with him. When he was calling them into discipleship, what he did was he he would say, come, follow me. Over and over, that was his language. Matthew 4, verse 18 through 22, Jesus calls his first disciples, Peter and Andrew, and he he says to them uh, while they're fishing, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Shortly after that, he meets the two brothers, James and John, and you know, they, it's, the scripture says that they left all that they had and they joined Philip and Andrew, Luke 5, verse 10 and 11 says, and it says that they followed him. The very next day, it says that Jesus found Philip and he extended an invitation to Philip saying, come, follow me. John chapter one, verse 43 talks about that. And then eventually Jesus met the disciple named Matthew. And when he saw Matthew, he said to Matthew, come, follow me. Matthew chapter nine, verse nine. This is his invitation to people over and over again to come and to follow him. So simply stated, to be a disciple means to follow Jesus. Now, following him in that day and in that age, uh, it meant some very important things. It meant when you, when you decided that you were going to follow a rabbi, follow their teaching, it very much meant that you had to leave a bunch of your old life behind. You had to follow Jesus. Uh, that it became the, the, the most important thing that you were doing in your life You would often have to turn away even from family, sometimes from your vocation, leave it behind, starting a new life with Jesus. It meant that you would uh, learn his teaching. It meant that you would start to understand his teaching and not just understand it mentally, but then you would live it out and practice it and obey it. And eventually you would teach his teaching to other people. In other words, to be a disciple of Jesus, it didn't mean that you kind of came to a church service and you simply, uh, somebody said, do you want to be a disciple? And you raised your hand and you prayed some magic prayer and then suddenly you're a disciple, okay? That's not what it was. To be a disciple was to say, I'm committing my whole life, all right? I'm going to go where you go. I am going to learn what you teach. I am going to do what you do. I want to imitate your life. I want to become like you. That is what it means to be a disciple. It means to follow Jesus, imitating his life, learning from him. That's what it means to be a disciple. But here's the thing about the Great Commission, about Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus didn't just tell his disciples to go and be disciples among all nations. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, right? Go and make disciples. So the mission of a disciple is to go and make disciples. So here's the truth that we all need to understand about every one of our lives. If you consider yourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, here's the truth. Disciple-making is the mission of every disciple. Disciple-making is the mission of every believer. Disciple-making is for all of us, right? It's, it's not just for the staff. It's not just for the church leaders. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for small group leaders. If you call yourself a disciple of Jesus, then disciple-making is your mission, all right, so discipleship is not just a program in the church. It's the mission of the church. Discipleship is not a class for some believers. It's the goal of all believers. Discipleship is not a gift for a few in the church. It's the goal of all in the church. So if you're in the church, the church uh, is made up of followers of Jesus, which means as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, 
Your mission is to make other disciples. Now this is what, this is partially what led us to form the mission statement that we have here at UBC. Our mission statement says this, that we want to be a church helping people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known, right? That's what we want to do. Our church has that mission to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We want to give people the same invitation that Jesus gave. Come, follow Jesus. Let's do it together, right? We want to help people become wholehearted followers. This is our purpose. This is all, the purpose of all of us who call UBC home. So when you see that purpose statement on our printed documentation and on our website and you hear us talk about it, this is not just the purpose for the staff and the elders and the deacons. This is the purpose of every member of our church to be people who are helping others become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. It's, it's the mission of all of us. And it's a wonderful thing if all of us decided we all wanted to jump in on the mission of disciple making. Like Jim, when he came up last Sunday, I thought his illustration was really powerful, where he said, look, there's a difference between addition and multiplication. When we just have a few people adding some on, adding some in, well, that, that's, that's good. That's nice. We reach more people. But when you have every person reaching more people, that's multiplication, and we can reach a lot more people for Christ that way. I thought that was a really good illustration from Jim last week. If you weren't here, you may want to go back and just listen to uh, that, that sermon from last Sunday. But multiplying disciples means every disciple is making disciples who follow Jesus. Now, that, that's the first thing that multiplying disciples means. Here's the second thing that we see in our text that it means. It also means having a reaching and teaching mentality. Having a reaching and teaching mentality. Jesus says in verse 19 and 20, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So making disciples, it includes both that reaching aspect and teaching aspect. It means baptizing people when they first come to faith. It means teaching them as they grow in their faith. It means helping them take those first steps as a baby believer and helping them mature as they grow as a more mature believer in Christ. So discipleship involves both reaching and teaching, baptizing and helping people observe all that Jesus commands. Let's just talk about both of those. Baptism, you know, it is, uh, I love baptism. I, I love when we see people get baptized. You know, Jesus speaks about baptism right here, and he says, you know, when you, when you take the gospel out, you're going to see people um, become followers of me, and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptism is kind of like this first initial proclamation. It's this first initial kind of public step of saying, I follow Jesus, right? This is how we publicly identify that our life is with Christ. Just like Jesus lived and died and was buried in a grave and rose again to new life, we're saying when we become converted and our hearts and our eyes become open to the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins and that he died that criminal's death for us, so that by belief in him, our sins can be forgiven, our lives can be made new, and we can live a new life right before God, holy and, and, and serving him in the name of Jesus. When that transformation happens in our lives, then we make that public by being baptized, where we're saying, look, I'm dying to my old life, the old way I used to live for myself. That life is gone, buried, and I want to rise to new life with Christ, following him, making him my king, my Lord, recognizing him as the authority of my life, and I want to make him known in the world. Right? That's what baptism is all about. It's how we initially 
publicly identify that we are a Christ follower. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't forgive your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. It just publicly identifies that you've believed in Christ crucified, buried, and risen again. Um, It doesn't save you, you know, it doesn't make you saved um, any more than my wedding ring makes me married. And I wear my wedding ring not because it makes me married. I wear my wedding ring because it shows that I'm married. That's the same way it is with baptism. It doesn't make you saved. It shows that you're saved. I, I love seeing people get baptized. I, we had three baptisms on Christmas Eve. It was awesome. Loved seeing them happen. Uh, we've got two more people in the queue to get baptized next Sunday, maybe more next Sunday. So I'm excited for that. Um, I, I love when we start to see growth groups start to engage in the conversations in our church with people about being uh, baptized. You know, we've got Our baptism class is coming up on February 4th. Some of you haven't yet been baptized. Maybe you've been considering it for a while, or maybe you're a brand new believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to consider being baptized. I love seeing people get baptized. uh, 36 years ago, the Lord saved me. 24 years ago, the Lord brought me out of a season of rebellion, and I got my life by his grace right with him and started getting serious about my faith. About 20 years ago, I started serving in leadership in the church, and now enough time has passed for me to see people um, be saved, be baptized, follow Jesus, and then help other people follow him as well. So about a decade ago, you can see his picture. This is a picture of a man named Joe Steele. Joe is a member of our church, but about a decade ago, God brought Joe Steele into my life. Joe was not a believer. He was interested in the things of God. He was interested in the Bible. We started meeting over coffee, reading the book of John together, talking about various passages of Scripture. Eventually, God opened up Joe's eyes to see the beauty of Christ crucified, buried, and risen again, and Joe's heart was redeemed and saved. Joe went public. I got to baptize him 10 years ago. It has been a joy to be able to watch him walk with the Lord ever since then. This man is totally different. Uh, Here's what I love. I love remembering his baptism, but here's what I love even more. I've loved watching him grow as a godly husband. I love watching him grow as a godly father. I've loved watching him start to serve outside of our church. I've loved starting to see him serve in the church. He's now one of the deacons in our church, and it's awesome to see how people are kind of taking those baby steps and then growing into the further steps of following Jesus, and now he's helping other people do the same. This is just one example of discipleship from my own life. Like, you probably have stories of your own that you can remember and share, people who you remember when they were baptized, and you've seen them grow and follow Jesus, and now they're helping other people do the same, because discipleship is exciting, and it's a joy. It's, it's wonderful. To, it's like watching a baby grow up into maturity, right, and then have a family of their own. It's a wonderful thing to see that happen, and that's what it's like. So Jesus told his disciples to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And this is just so different than just simply going and evangelizing or bringing people to a point of decision, making, uh, you know, making a decision for Christ or praying a prayer. None of those things are wrong, but they're incomplete if nobody teaches these new believers how to grow up in their faith, right? So None of us would think it's fine for somebody to give birth to a child and then just, you know, uh, totally abandon it and leave it on its own, right? If you birth it, you raise it. You know, you want to bring that child into maturity. That's the way it is in the Christian faith. We don't just want to make converts. We want to make disciples who are following Jesus. So we must be about both reaching and teaching people so that every disciple can be a disciple who makes disciples that follows Jesus. That's what multiplying disciples means. So that's what. 
What does it mean? Let's talk about why. Why is it important? Why is it important that every one of us joins in the disciple-making mission? There's so much I could say about this. I just want to give you two reasons today directly from our passage. The first reason why we need to stay on task with this is because it keeps us on the mission that Jesus gave us. Right? It keeps us on the mission that Jesus gave us. Verse 19 says very clearly, Jesus says, go. But the very next word after go is the word therefore. Right? Go therefore. And anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look in the text and see what preceded it because the things that kind of built up and preceded it, they led to this therefore statement. And what precedes this command to go here in verse 19 is Jesus' statement about his authority. In verse 18, Jesus you know, came to them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So it's the authority of Christ that's being emphasized here, right? His sovereignty, his power, his dominion that he has in heaven and on earth, right? So we remember the authority of Jesus as we've seen it in his ministry on earth. Jesus demonstrated his authority when he spoke with authority to the leaders in the synagogues, when he disciplined with authority, when he cleansed the temple, he acted with authority, when he performed his miracles, he, he, uh, he, he judged with authority, when he was able to forgive people's sins, right? Jesus has authority. Jesus has authority over Satan and sin and demons. Jesus has authority over Michael and the angels and the heavenly host. Jesus has authority over all nations, all government leaders, all presidents, all kings. Jesus has authority over the church and all of its members, and Jesus has authority over me, and Jesus has authority over you. All authority has been given to Christ in heaven and on earth. And in that authority, he has told his church, his disciples, to go and make disciples. Jesus never told the world to come to the church. He told the church to go to the world. Make disciples. This is the mission. And this passage, as you know, is often referred to as the Great Commission. This is Jesus' mission that he gave his disciples. It's a great commission. It's not a great suggestion. It's not a great idea. It's not a great option for some believers to you know, kind of engage in and some not. This is the great commission. Let's not make it the great omission of our church. Right? Because it's really easy to do that. It really is easy for churches to get caught up in a lot of other things and get off the mission of making disciples. It's easy to get involved with Sunday morning activities at church, attending church services, doing church events, being part of programming, even serving in ministries sometimes. But the tr I want you to hear this from me. This is uh, convicting to me. If we do church but we don't make disciples, we are off track. And honestly, let me say it this way. It's not just that we're off track. We're disobedient. If you and I do church, but we're not involved in disciple making, we're disobedient. I would argue we're probably not actually doing church. At least we're not doing the mission Jesus gave us. None of us want to be an individual that is disobedient to our king. None of us want us to have a church that is ultimately disobedient to Christ, our authority. So let's be intentional about multiplying disciples 
doing so is important because it keeps us on the mission that Jesus gave us. But here's the second reason why it's important to multiply disciples. It's important also because we want to experience, experience the presence of Jesus with us. You know, Jesus told his disciples to go, take the gospel, make disciples. You know, he's telling them to reach and teach others. And then he tells them this in verse 20, and he says, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Just days after this, Jesus ascended back into heaven. How could Jesus be with them always? It's because of everything we studied in the book of Acts over the past couple years when he sends the power of the Holy Spirit to fill their hearts and the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit is empowering the disciples. He promised to be with his disciples. And let me just say this, what a promise that is that Jesus is with us on the disciple-making mission. There is both power and comfort in that promise. It's the power of Christ that will embolden us to preach the gospel. It's the power of Christ that will convict the world of sin. It's the power of Christ that will bring salvation to some who have lived in rebellion and sin. People who we, the last people on earth sometimes that we think would ever become Christians. It's not our power that brings them to salvation. It's Christ's power. And he does it. And he will build his church. It's his power that will build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. There is power for the believer when he is with us, but there's also great comfort for the believer. Great comfort for the disciple when he's with you. When you're living as a disciple and you start to get mocked for your faith and your family members oppose you and your employer starts to overlook you or look down on you or bring hostility your way, in those moments, Jesus speaks to you and he says, disciple, I am with you. I'm with you. When you get fired from your job in America because you're standing for what I taught, I'm with you. When your church gets burned down in Nigeria, I'm with you. If you get your head cut off in Afghanistan for following me, Jesus says, I'm with you, always, to the end of the age. What a comfort it is that no matter what comes our way, Jesus is with us. What power, what comfort comes from the promise of his presence. And let me just say, like, that's, him being with us is not just some future promise, right? It's, it's a present reality. We don't have to wait till later. Like we can experience that powerful, comforting presence of Christ right now. The Lord, let me say it this way. The Lord Jesus isn't just on our side through his power. He is by our side with his presence as we go on the disciple-making mission. And I don't know about you, but I want to experience the power and the presence of my life. I want to join Jesus' mission to see the nations reached with the gospel and be part of multiplying disciples. Multiplying disciples is important because it keeps us on the mission that Jesus gave us and because we want to experience his presence with us along the way. So two questions I want to ask you to consider today. Two questions. Everybody in this room this morning, think about these. Question number one, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? I am not asking you if you walked an aisle. I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer. I'm not asking you if you made a decision. I'm asking you, does your life show that you are following Jesus day by day? Are you a disciple? Are you following him today? 
Because the, the problem, as one author stated years ago, the problem is that Jesus today has a lot of fans, but very few followers. Fans are people who sit in the audience and watch, critique, judge, sometimes cheer on. Those are fans. Followers get on the field. Followers act. They live things out. They execute. They, they engage, right? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you following him day by day or are you just observing from the Sunday seats? If you're not a true disciple of Jesus Christ, I hope you will choose today to begin following Jesus sincerely day by day. The way you show that that is your sincere engagement is by setting aside any fear, setting aside any shame, and if you've never been baptized publicly saying, I'm with Jesus and I'm one of his followers, you need to consider being baptized. You'll grow from there as we reach and teach. Are you a follower of Jesus? Here's the second question for you. If you are a follower, if you are a disciple, the second question is, are you making disciples of Jesus? Because, you know, this is our mission, guys. This is what he's called us to do. And maybe there are some of you who are very actively engaged in helping other people follow Jesus. Praise the Lord. Like, that's awesome. I hope you take encouragement through the Holy Spirit right now through that. But maybe some of you have really never engaged in making another disciple or helping anybody else follow Jesus. Maybe today's going to be a turning point for you. Maybe some of you are afraid to engage in disciple making because you're just kind of nervous about whether or not you really have anything to offer or if you're mature enough in your faith or will you be ready to answer all the questions. Listen, uh, if Jesus has saved you, he's given you a story, your story is the entry point to starting to help other people follow Jesus. You can share your story. When you engage in disciple-making, if you really believe in your heart that Jesus is with you like he promised, if you believe Jesus is with you, you have nothing to fear from man when Jesus is at your side. You know, I know that some of us get nervous about trying to get involved in disciple-making because we feel like our faith isn't strong enough, but let me just tell you, like, we just read from Matthew 28, right? Verse 18 through 20. Who was Jesus talking to in Matthew 28, right? He's talking to his disciples. These were the men that were going to go into the world. They were going to turn the world upside down. But if you, if you just look back in your Bible, like uh, a couple verses, then you would see in verse 17, it says that these same disciples, when they came, that they worshiped him, but some doubted. These are the same guys who were about to go out after the Great Commission and change the world, right? And even still, like, they saw the resurrected Christ. Some of them still doubt it. What did Jesus do? It says that Jesus turned to them. He didn't turn away from them. He engaged them. He brought them in. He made his presence known to them. These guys didn't have perfect faith, but Christ loved them. Christ grew them. And then he sent them out and they changed the world. And I believe that if we got serious about trusting Christ and engaging in disciple making, I believe the Lord would use us to make a dent in the kingdom for the sake of God's glory. He can use you. Engage in disciple making. 
So some of you are like, okay, well, how can I get involved? What, what do I do? What are the practical opportunities? I want to invite Scott Dixon to come on up. Every sermon in this series, we're going to have some leader in our church come and talk about application. You guys know Scott for the most part. If you don't know Scott, he has been an elder here for three years now. He's recently come on staff as our director of biblical education, and uh, Scott preaches here all the time. He's a good friend, and he's going to talk now about opportunities that we have to get involved in disciple making. Thank you, Jason. Uh, multiplying disciples. Uh, if you listen to Jason as he echoed Jesus' words, you realize there are two items about multiplying disciples. That means we cannot follow Jesus alone, and it also means we must not follow Jesus alone. So I want to help you today by giving you three practical things to do, okay? Three practical steps. Number one, take a self-audit. Take a self-audit. What I mean is ask yourself, am I putting myself out there to take advantage of becoming a disciple and helping others become a disciple? Is my involvement with God's people here at UBC only a Sunday morning involvement? Now, I'm going to be as clear as I can with this part. Being here on Sunday morning, like we are right now, is necessary for being a disciple and helping others become disciples. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. We need more than this. We need life-on-life involvement with the people of God. That's the way Jesus designed it to work. So we need to take that kind of self-audit and ask myself, am I putting myself out there? Or as a family, as as spouses, are we putting ourselves out there? First, take a self-audit. Second, take a church audit. In other words, what is UBC doing? What are we as leadership and staff doing to help you be disciples and become disciples and make disciples? And there are so many things. I just want to highlight a few. First, there are current offerings right now that you can get involved in. There are growth groups that are happening. Bryson Jackson, the young man who prayed, the big, or not prayed, but gave announcements um, the old man prayed. The, the young guy that gave announcements, see him. If you aren't involved in, in, a, in a growth group where your family's not meeting with other families at UBC, that opportunity is there for you. Second, we have women's ministry happening. We have an opportunity, gender-specific here, to get involved in other ladies' lives. One of the things that excites me most about our women's ministry is they have intentionally designed as part of their ministry ways for women to connect with women and discipleship strategies, either one-on-one or in small groups, what they call micro-groups. You can get involved with other ladies' lives. And if that's something that you would like to do, and I would encourage you to go on the website and you can send an email to the women's ministry. It'll get to the right people, Barb Carpenter or Leah Dayhoff, who can help connect you to that. Third, we have adult classes. Remember, it's not just baptizing, it's teaching. And this is a special place every Sunday that we offer four classes right now where we can teach more 
about what it means to follow Christ. Now, come the fall as a future uh, idea, there's going to be more than that. Okay, But right now, we have four for you. So those are some of the current offerings. And like I said, there are also future offerings. Uh, right now, we do have college-age ministries and young adult ministries, Cam and Yam. It's not on the board, but we also have senior adult ministries, Sam. Okay, And once a quarter, they all bring their electric guitars and have a Cam, Yam, Sam jam. You want to be involved in that. Now, that's a lie, but it would be cool if they did it. Okay? But still, we, so you can see we have, we have age group opportunities for you. Like I said, we have gender group opportunities. There's women's ministry. We also have a men's uh, discipleship ministry happening. Put this on your calendar, men. If you want to get involved with men... Life on Life, April 26th to 27th, there's going to be a men's conference here, and one of the big foci, that's the plural focus, will be how men can get involved in smaller groups with other men okay. in making disciples. And then lastly, there is something that we're calling a discipleship pathway. Now that's way future right now, again, next fall. But Dr. Jeremy Kimball, who you will meet next week, and I and Pastor Jason are working right now on developing a discipleship pathway for UBC. Now, like I've said, there are all sorts of ways you can get involved, but we want to think more specifically what it means to take a seeker of Jesus all the way to where they could become an elder at UBC. What, what do we need to do and provide for you as a church to help you do that? That's a discipleship pathway. Many, much more information coming later about that.